0: So, our our Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 26. John chapter 4. This is God's Word. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans.' Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water.' "'Sir,' the woman said, "'you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water?' Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We thank God for his word. Well, I don't know if you're like me, um, one of those people who, when you go to the movies, you have to watch through all the credits to see if there's an extra scene at the end. Uh, if I take Levi and Trinity, you'll sit down. We're, we're going to wait to end. Everybody else is filing out. If you're a fan of the Marvel movies, you'll know, of course, that you have to sit to the end to get that scene to avoid missing out. So today's sermon is a bit like that. It's um, Uh, an extra installment. Last week, we officially finished our series on the I Am statements of Jesus, but this week we have some bonus content. The I Am statements we covered were all the the obvious ones, the well-known ones. This one is hidden away, but if you look at the Greek text, it actually jumps straight out at you because there's those words, ego emi, I am, and it's found in verse 26 of the passage we read. Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Or more literally, I am the one speaking to you. Now, that doesn't seem very dramatic. But when you realize that Jesus is responding to the Samaritan woman and what she's just said, she says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. It's obvious that, in effect, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. That's a big statement, but it takes until verse 26 to arrive at it. It's like we have to watch the whole movie to understand the end. Because just like many of the other I am statements, this one has a backstory, a series of events leading up to Jesus saying, I am. I've heard uh, it said by people who protest against Christianity being true, something like this. Why doesn't God just reveal himself to everyone in a dramatic way, like a big sign in the sky? or something like that. After all, Elon Musk can do that with his satellites, can't he? Uh, Did you see that news story about billboards in space? Everybody got all worried, especially uh, astronomers. Uh, And it sounded really cool until you realised actually you couldn't see them from Earth. The more mundane reality is that he planned to project the advertisement onto the side of a satellite, and then use a camera uh, to film the advertisement, and then put that on YouTube. Now, it does have to be said that Jesus did perform some very impressive miracles on a large scale, like the feeding of the 5,000, for example. But normally, he communicated through conversations with people, as well as preaching, of course, to larger numbers like he did on the Sermon on the Mount. And so John, in his gospel, writes down some of these important conversations which reveal more about Jesus, uh, why he came, who he was. Many of those conversations are with the disciples, but some are with people who don't yet believe. Uh, So we have Nicodemus the Pharisee in chapter 3, and now we have this Samaritan woman here in chapter 4. If you uh, remember, that conversation with Nicodemus ends up with John writing probably the most famous verse in the whole of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so as we read these conversations, we realize that this is a much better way to communicate the truth about God because these unfolding questions and responses and statements have so much to teach us. They primarily teach us about Jesus and our need of him, but they can also teach us something about how we can have conversations with people who don't yet believe. So in this conversation, we're going to enter into, um, in this sermon, we're going to enter into this conversation by the whale in John chapter 4. Before we do that, let me just uh, say that objection to Christianity, that God doesn't advertise himself well, falls flat when you realize that the Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world, Uh, about 5 billion copies have been sold. So I think that probably surpasses Elon Musk's satellites. But let's get into what the Bible says First of all, what do we learn from the the setting of this scene by the well? Well, there's three things. Uh, One is geography, the other is time, and the third is theology. First, uh, geography. This is Samaria, which means this is enemy territory for Jews like Jesus and his disciples. Not that they are at risk of being killed or captured, but there's certainly animosity, and we're going to see uh, why as the conversation unfolds. For Jews traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, it was an unwelcome necessity to travel through Samaria because the alternative route was very inconvenient. The second thing is this time. It's the middle of the day. That tells us, of course, that Jesus and his disciples had been walking for a few hours already. But we know that because John says Jesus is tired from the journey. So John probably has another reason to note the time of day, and the the obvious connection to make is the beginning of chapter 3, where we read that the setting for the previous conversation, the one with Nicodemus, was at night, and so we have a contrast. The third thing about the setting is the way John has recorded these conversations to communicate a theological lesson. John would have had so much material to work with. In fact, he says at the end of his book, that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So then we understand that John, inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, is being selective in order to communicate the important things that we need to know about Jesus. So at this stage, we haven't even got into the conversation of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, but John has already started to unfold theological truths. So one is to do with the time of day. Nicodemus came in the darkness. He didn't want people to know that he was interested in Jesus. This woman saw Jesus in the full light of day. She receives the revelation that he is the Christ and then freely and openly tells other people about it too. There's no hiding in the darkness for her. And John spells out this contrast between light and darkness, bridging between chapters 3 and chapter 4. In verses uh, 20 and 21 of chapter 3, he says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Poor Nicodemus couldn't step into the light, not at this point in his story anyway but this woman both literally in the fullest light of day at noon and symbolically in believing and then proclaiming the truth about Jesus she is in the full light of day where are we i wonder in our stories the other theological aspect of the setting is that what happens in John chapter 4 follows on from that most famous bible verse in 316 whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here, by this well, we have a whoever, and a rather unlikely whoever, a Samaritan woman, not a well-versed biblical scholar like Nicodemus. Doesn't that give so much hope to all of us that Jesus would be interested in talking to her, to reveal the truth about himself to her? And May I add, I became a Christian before I studied theology. Uh, simple faith in Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins was the thing that came first for me. The deeper understanding happened much later. So there we have the setting, a geography of animosity between people groups, a significant time in the full light of day, and a theology bursting with God's hope for the world, waiting to be realized at the side of Of this well. And by that well, Jesus asks the woman a simple question. Verse 7 Will you give me a drink? It's a simple question, but these words carry far more weight than when Neil Armstrong said those famous words that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. As J.C. Ryle comments, simple as this request of Jesus to the woman may seem, it opened a door to spiritual conversation. It threw a bridge across the gulf which lay between her and him. It led to the conversion of her soul. This is Jesus, God in human flesh, bridging the gap between God and human beings. He reveals his humanity in his need to quench his thirst, and he is about to reveal his divinity, as he speaks. On a human level, uh, Jesus is, is also crossing other bridges, especially that bridge of animosity between Jews and Samaritans, and the bridge of speaking to a woman, which wasn't acceptable to many Jewish men who saw women as inferior beings. Religious Jewish men were known to pray, thanking God that he had not made them a woman. But of course we know Jesus was not like that, and speaking to a woman was normal to him. Not so long ago. In a, in a previous sermon, we saw how Jesus spoke to Mary and Martha, and that, that led up to that other great I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. But the greatest gulf, humanly speaking, to the bridge here, to bridge across here, is the fact that this woman is a Samaritan. Those same Jewish men would also have prayed to God, thanking God that they were, had not been born a Samaritan. The Samaritans lived in what had been the northern part of Israel. Eight centuries before, the Assyrian Empire had conquered those Israelites and deported them. And then the king of Assyria had settled the land with his Gentiles, who mixed their pagan religion with that Israelite belief in God. So as a result, these Samaritans only recognised the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and they had changed the place of worship for God from Jerusalem to Mount Gerizim. They'd built a temple on that mountain, uh, and this again is uh, the backstory of the history. This temple had been destroyed about 160 years before by a Jewish ruler. And so, this well where Jesus had sat down and asked for a drink of water was at the foot of that mountain. So, knowing this history helps us get to grips with a story, a bit like understanding the the conflict in Northern Ireland requires digging deeper than just a superficial narrative of Protestants fighting Catholics. And understanding conflict in the Middle East requires knowing about the differences between Sunni and Shia Muslims. But even without all that detailed knowledge of history, and those words in the text, of course, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, We probably know enough from that parable of the Good Samaritan. The person Jesus uses to give a twist in the tale about the question, who is my neighbour? Did you know, I I checked this um, when I was preparing, that the words, the Good Samaritan, are not in the biblical text. That's a title added in the English version, a, a title we're well familiar with if we went to Sunday school. But even that title sounds prejudiced as if most Samaritans are bad and this one happened to be good. But you know, Jesus, he leaves all that historical baggage behind. And he truly and openly engages this Samaritan woman in conversation, much to her surprise. Yes, of course, there's some theological disagreement uh, there. But Jesus bridges the gap of centuries of hatred with a simple question. Will you give me a drink? I wonder how we are at that sort of bridge building. Jesus builds the bridge and he jumps straight into deeper waters. Sorry, I'm mixing metaphors there. Verse 10, he starts talking about living water, a metaphor which the woman initially gets confused about because she takes it literally. Just like Nicodemus, if you remember, was confused about the metaphor of being born again and said, how can someone be born when they are old? So in verse 15, this woman does the same sort of thing. She asks for for this living water so that she won't have to come back to this well. Jesus used many metaphors, and this sort of misunderstanding happens often, but it provides an opportunity for teaching. The well is there, the water is there, and here's a great illustration of spiritual truth. Now, if Nicodemus had been there, he would have stuck his hand up and said, I know, I know, pick me, because he didn't just rely on the first five books of the Bible. He would have known that living water is mentioned in Isaiah 44, verse 3. It says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This is a reference to the spirit of God coming to dwell in his people. But Jesus is going to circle back to that in just a minute. But next, he asks about her husband. In verse 16, the woman says she has no husband. Jesus replies to her, she is right showing that his question was a mistake because he knows with divine knowledge that she has had five husbands and the one she now has is not her husband. And so this is a prophetic insight. It's very like when Jesus saw, uh, said to Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree in John chapter 1. And at that point, if you remember, when Nathanael hears those words, he believes and declares that Jesus is the Son of God because he knows that Jesus could only have found that out through divine knowledge knowledge this woman doesn't jump quite so quickly to that conclusion as nathaniel but she does straight away say that jesus is a prophet and this time her bible knowledge would have come to her her aid because she's alluding to the possibility that jesus is the prophet who moses said was coming because remember she knows the book of deuteronomy I'm sure many of us could testify, like that Samaritan woman or Nathaniel, that there was something somebody said or something you learned about Jesus or something that happened that made you realize that God is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, Uh, and that's certainly true in my life. If that hasn't happened for you, well, I pray that it does. At this point, I'm going to go off on a short tangent uh, there's, a, there's a history of interpreting this passage that says that this woman was immoral. Uh, and actually, I was going to go down that track until I did more reading. Uh, the, 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 it goes that uh, this woman was immoral because she had five husbands and the man she's now with is not her husband. That interpretation also says that she was a social outcast because of her sin. However, that's by no means certain and it requires reading things into the text which are not spelled out for us by John who wrote it. Because unlike in other situations, Jesus never calls out this woman as a sinner. She's clearly not much of an outcast because her whole town listens to her and comes out to see Jesus. We read that later on in the chapter. So it's more likely that she had five husbands who died, perhaps uh, maybe divorced her, or a combination of both. Remember King Henry VIII, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Um, it was very rare for a woman in, those, uh, in that situation, in that sort of patriarchal society, to divorce their husband. The man she was now with could have had her as a concubine, which was quite a common and socially acceptable thing at the time. So we have to read it with ancient eyes, not with modern eyes. But perhaps the most important thing in interpreting this text is to see that John, in recording this conversation, has a specific point. And it's not centered on the possibility that that this woman was immoral. It's focused on her recognizing Jesus for who he is. And so getting back on track, the woman asks a theological question which sets up a very profound reply from Jesus. In verse 19, she asks about the proper place to worship God. Is it here in Mount Gerizim or is it in Jerusalem? That was the big burning theological question for the Samaritans had between them and the Jews. And Jesus replies that the time is coming and has now come, the time which is marked by the arrival of Jesus on earth, when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And so he shifts the focus off either of those two geographic places and centers it on the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He shifts away from external religion and puts the focus on the heart. So where is your heart before God? Who do you worship? How do you worship? Why do you worship? The answer is here in these words. And for the woman, the answer is literally sitting by the well in front of her. And not daring to utter the words outright that Jesus is the Christ, she says it indirectly. She says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus affirms it. I am the one speaking to you. And so the destination is reached and the woman believes. And as a result, so do many people in her town. Have you reached that destination? To know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who saves us because he is fully human and fully God, the King of the universe, the one who died the perfect death on the cross for our sin and who rose again and now sits on the throne in heaven, reigning over all. If you have reached that destination, I hope that by looking into this unfolding conversation by a well in Samaria, that that has helped you to see how we can reach others uh, with the gospel, that we can help get them to that destination too by pointing to Jesus, by building bridges where we might not be naturally happy um, to do that instead of leaving that gulf between us with others who are not like us, by, by being able to engage in spiritual and theological questions, even by encouraging them, by pointing people to Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, and how we should respond to you. And can I just say, with the, with the older kids we had here this, this week, the P7s to the, um, the year 10s, we give them the opportunity to ask some questions, and, and those were answered by a small panel up here at the front. And it's so important to encourage people to ask those spiritual questions. I'll just mention some to you. Where did God come from? Um, what do you do when somebody who says they're a Christian but they they act uh, in different ways, in ways that seem they're not a Christian. Maybe they mock other Christians. Um, What are we like in heaven? Are, Are we the same as here? Those sorts of questions should be encouraged and engaged with. But every conversation is different. Not every conversation arrives at the destination in one go. Sometimes it takes many conversations, and it also takes more than words, of course. It takes actions of love and an attitude of love, just like Jesus with that woman at the well. So let's learn from him and let's pray that we'd be more like him. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending Jesus to this earth as a man and yet fully divine. We thank you for that conversation at the well with that woman. We thank you that it gives hope for each of us that we can come to you, that we can come to you with questions, And that we can also engage with the questions of others. And Father God, for those who don't yet know you here, Father God, I pray that their questions would be answered. And we know that the answer is Jesus and all that he means for us. And Father God, for those of us who know Jesus, I pray that you would help us and equip us by your Spirit to engage with people's questions, to encourage those questions and to show them your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.